1: Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin, episode number 31. I am Tom Valentino, flying solo as we record on Saturday night, a night removed from the Cavs clinching the Eastern Conference title with a Game 6 win at Toronto. We don't know who we will see from the West, however, because Golden State just forced a Game 7 in their series after winning in Oklahoma City tonight. Either way, though, uh, Travis and I are working on putting together a big uh, NBA Finals preview episode, and we already have some guests lined up for that. Uh, It should be a good one. Look forward to drop either Tuesday or Wednesday. In the meantime, though, uh, we're going to shift gears. The Akron Rubber Ducks. Celebrated Happy Gilmore Night, and as part of their festivities, they brought in actor Christopher McDonald, Shooter McGavin himself, to throw out the first pitch and uh, meet with some fans. I made a trip down to Canal Park tonight with our old pal Mark Podolsky from the News Herald, and the two of us got a chance to talk with McDonald. I gotta tell you, Poto and I had a lot of fun with this, and uh, I think you're gonna enjoy the interview. So, with that in mind, uh, here's Shooter.
0: in Akron at uh, Canal Park. Uh, happy Gilmore Night. And uh, as promised, I am joined by actor Christopher McDonald. Um, Got to just uh, ask you right off the bat. I think we all know who the real hero of that story was. I mean, if we're being honest with ourselves, sh- shouldn't this be Shooter McGavin Night? It should be Shooter McGavin Night. Very well said, sir. Um, the movie was called Happy
2: Gilmore. For some reason, I didn't get a chance to win. But uh, in, in real life, watch out. No, I, mean, I think that Adam's actually a, a great guy and a wonderful athlete, and uh, and I was just so honored to be in it. Nobody knew we'd have this kind of legs It's been 20 years. So um and people have grown up on it. People have discovered it. And all generations respond to this movie, and when they say the best comment is, like, if it comes on television, which is on a loop on television, they just have to watch it because it's just one of those kind of movies. Very quotable, you know.
0: That was what I was going to ask you, like, either when you were reading the script for the first time, or you're in production, or at any point, did you get any kind of an inkling like, this thing's really awesome, and this could really turn into something uh, huge at some point, and, and get this kind of a cult following? I wish we had that kind of insight, but that's never never the way. Nobody knows what what they're
2: making. They know they're they're making something that makes them laugh, something that they're entertained by, something they'd like to watch, but to have it resonate like, like it has over these last 20 years is... That's a gift, man. That is, that's that's um, a gift that keeps on giving. You like it.
0: You seem like a uh, super nice guy in a few minutes. that We've been talking. I uh, was doing a little bit of homework, and I, I know you're involved in doing some charity work here and there. Um, the Shooter McGavin character, let's be honest, is uh, kind of a jerk. Um, what's it like playing uh, an all-time uh, – Villain uh, type character like that—it's got to be a lot of fun. It is a blast.
2: It's the—it's uh, the antithesis who I am—a father of four, I'm a normal guy. Um, but I think everybody inside has got the jerk in them. We could all pull the jerk out when we're getting crowded at the airport, or you know, we're three deep at the bar and you can't get a drink or something. You could turn the jerk on. I just had the—it was in the lines mostly, but I just kind of tweaked it and, and embellished it, embellished it, and also um, relished it because it was really a lot of fun to play this guy who was. Just a pompous ass.
3: <laughs> Chris, I wanted to ask you about that. You know, when you had the script in front of you and you're dealing with your director, did they give you a leeway to sort of ad-lib and maybe mold this character in- into how maybe you saw it best with your personality involved?
2: Well, that's a good question. A lot of movies, giving that they're giving that leeway, and I would say they didn't frown on it, but they also were very funny guys. Judd Apatow wrote this thing with Adam and... and uh... I want to tell you, he's, um, you know, he's iconic now in, in, the, in the world of comedy. So it was pretty much on the page, but of course we ad-libbed because we're making, trying to make each other laugh. For example, once when I was signing the, um, uh, the, uh, the young girl's breast, um, Adam took that and he just went and signed a very, um, no, uh, I guess he signed a very older lady's breast or something like that. Little things like that. We try to one up on each other and, um, I ad-libbed a few things here and there, but, um. And most of them stayed in the movie, which is pretty funny. But uh, but the writing was there, and that's always the, the gift in the comedy. If it's on the page, it's, it'll be on the stage.
3: When you're out and about, walking through your neighborhood at a grocery store at the airport, how many times do you get shooter, shooter, and do you ever get sick of it?
2: Well, I'll answer. I, I don't get sick of it. I think it's really amazing that, it's, that people have really responded to it. Um, sometimes, when I'm um, you know, feeling down, I'll go to a mall. And I'll just yell at the center of my mouth, yell out "shooter," <laughs> and just to let people know I'm there. You know, no. But all kidding aside, it, it happens all the time, especially out here today. Everybody knows I'm here. Yeah. Anytime I'm on a golf course, anytime I'm in a sporting event, I'm an upstate up New York boy. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, and every, I walk through, I'm like "shooter." You know, <laughs> in airports, people are yelling out, but they wait for me to walk by a little bit, then I go throw out the guns above my head. You know, it's kind of like that. So yeah, it's funny if you if you embrace it. I think it's funny, yeah. and I have embraced it. So
3: and. Um the role you mentioned, how everybody likes to be a jerk and you know everybody likes to bring that out. Was it easy for you to bring that out? Had you ever played a role like that in any form of acting before that?
2: I had played villains, of course. Villains are real delicious to play because they just give you carte blanche to just really go dark. And like I say, everyone's got a dark side. So um, I, I cut my teeth in a Shakespeare play called Othello. And I played Iago, who's the most manipulative bad guy you can ever imagine. The longest part in Shakespeare. And I'm classically trained as an actor. And I thought that was like the, the one that started it all of me just being this guy, just twisting <laughs> twisting the knife in people. And, um, but I never, you know, I just didn't think, but I, to this day, I think people say I'm like one of the top two or three uh, comedic villains ever. So, and that's in large part due to, to, uh, do you, like that, do you like that
3: moniker, that
2: role? Hey, it's top, top of the heap. I'll take it. <laughs> sure, typecast me. I don't care.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, so, I mean, you've obviously gotten to enjoy the legacy of the Shooter McGavin character, but at the same time, I know you've had a lot of variety, and you've been, like, super busy over the last 20 years. Obviously, you've been uh, one role after another. Do um, you kind of feel like you got the best of both worlds, being able to um, do all these different things, and at the same time still kind of uh, carry that legacy with you? There's two great things about um, about working all the time.
2: First of all, I think it's an working hard and working um, – steady is is' an, is an honor actually to, to to people really want you to do it and there's there's something really my, my work ethic I think I got from my, my family my father's a tremendous hardworking guy so i I do love to work and I've been blessed to do a lot of different kinds of parts but um the, the really interesting thing about it is that we never know what's going to be we always hope for something of the best so I, I I guess if you have if I've, I've done a hundred plus movies that I guess about you know 15 of them are really good some of them are really bad, but we never set out to make a bad movie. Of course, it just happens. But you had a really good question. I had a great answer, and I just went out the door. Because I'm, I'm, I'm,
0: <laughs> what was what was your question? Again? Well, just the uh, the the whole deal of being able to like enjoy the legacy of having such a memorable oh, character like exactly, Sean McGavin. Exactly.
2: It's the best. I have the best of both worlds. I'm, I'm not like uh, an Adam Sandler or a Brad Pitt or you know George Clooney. All three guys who I've worked with, they can't leave their house. You know, there's a big tax to pay for that kind of fame. And I um, I can go below the radar. I can put a pair of glasses on and a hat and just kind of go shh and have a, a normal life and that, and that a lot of them cannot do that. I mean they, I mean they can to a certain extent, but then boom once they're out that people are like ah And that's uh, that, that's what I've seen it happen and it's kind of crippling to them. So I have the you know the best thing about fame is um, great tables at a restaurant and um, really they pay a lot of attention to you when you go to the hospital. So that's good. <laughs>
3: Christopher, are you a Twitter guy? Are you on Twitter? I am a
2: Twitter guy. Yeah. I don't do it all the time, but I do it.
3: Do you so. know about this uh, Shooter McGavin Twitter account that yeah, has got 300,000 followers? He's got
2: 300,000 followers. He um, never really contacted I me. Mean, I think there's probably some legal. He's using my face, using my image, <laughs> using my yes, character. He is. He's using everything. Thank God he's funny. He so all funny. I can say. <laughs> But he sells some pretty cheesy T-shirts. I, I don't know. I just I would like to talk to him one day. Let's let's chill it with it. Run the T-shirts by me. So
3: he seems to be all on the Cleveland sports. Maybe, oh, really? With the, with the maybe the drop, maybe having a chance to end now with the Cavs. Yeah. than really the cusp of all this. Yeah. How how big are you of a, of a sports fan? And do and do you follow any sort of sports? I mean, is there a particular sport you like to follow and have you been watching the Cavs? Absolutely.
2: I watched the Cavs. I think it's their year this year. I, I don't know. And I think the Warriors are probably going to be done um, tonight, is it? Yeah, yeah. game six.
3: Tonight.
2: Yeah, it's game six. They're down 3-2, um, and it could be over. But, you know, they're hanging on, and they not got nothing but talent. But to repeat in the NBA is, you know, so hard. But um, I follow the Bills. I'm upstate New York, boy. And I love the Bills, and I die with the Bills. and live and die with them. And, you know, it, you can't get too upset because – Back in the day, we were spoiled. We had Jim Kelly. Yeah, We had these all these Hall of Fame players on the team. We went to the show four years in a row. I don't think they'll ever be repeated. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> you have to live with that. Uh, you know, you take the highs with the lows. Because we you know, start off real strong. We get really close to beating the Patriots. And then, you know, we fall apart. So it's a tough thing to be a sports fan, but with a team you really, really love. And to answer your question, I follow all sports. I especially love. When the playoffs happen. This time of year is very exciting. You have hockey, which is, you know, the, these guys are going for blood. We have basketball. Not, I see the toughest, most intense sport you can watch is, is in the finals. I mean, it's it's a it winner go home kind of right. time. And it's so exciting. So I, I like that. I like baseball. And I like uh, tennis. Tennis is they're doing the French Open right now. It's just these guys. It's mano y mano, man. It's like a boxing match. Very exciting. I love boxing. You like golf? Love golf. <laughs> As a matter of fact, my friend, Rocco Mediate, right now is leading. It's so exciting. I don't want to call him. I don't want to you know, put any kind of jinx on him. But he's leading right now by two or three strokes at the uh, at the senior tour okay. players. And it's just too exciting. It's
0: too exciting. <laughs> All right. Now, Rocco um, was on the verge of winning a U.S. Open. And, I mean, you're a Bills fan. When, when Tiger made that putt on uh, 72nd hole, I, I'm not trying to twist the knife for you here. But, I mean, that – were you kind of like, my God, I can't get away from Heartbreak Hotel
2: like this? Or that's really funny. I became friends with Rocco after that. Thank God, um, that was years <laughs> ago. But I know it was crippling for him. But not yeah, Tiger. Tiger was in was in another world at that time. I'm so excited. I'm going. I'm going to the U.S. Open uh, this year, and Tiger just announced he's in. Oh wow! So that's great, that's great news. So I'm going to be following him. I was at, once at a uh, at tennis watching the U.S. Open, and we're watching um, Serena do her thing and. Who walks into my booth? With Tiger Woods. And I said I talked to his daughter for a while, and I said, "I'm sorry, I got to be that guy." Let's take a selfie. <laughs> so who, I sent it out and said, "Yeah, look at my I, I Remember that? Yeah, and then it went kind of viral because because yeah. that guy I think that does the Shooter McGavin thing, the world's greatest golfer takes a picture with with, the, with Tiger Woods. <laughs> <laughs> He's funny. See, that's good. Yeah. So that, that that's kind of fun. But you know, I'm so excited to see Tiger. He had a good sense of humor about it, so it's fun.
3: You know, you mentioned. Being a Bills fan and knowing what heartbreaks about, and you know, you so you totally you can understand what Cleveland's been through for the last 50 years, right?
2: Oh yeah, baby. It's really, really something. How? You, but but fans are diehard. You, you don't you don't give up on your team. They have moments of brilliance. It's going to be. I mean, it's it's. I'm just so excited. I think it's time. It's time for Cleveland to win that thing and break the you know the curse and. Come on. It's like when Boston beat the. Uh, New York after being down three three yeah. games and they came yeah. back and won what? That's like that doesn't happen and that happens once in a hundred years you know so.
3: I gotta ask you this: You played Mel Allen, you played Joe DiMaggio on screen. Yeah. What's what what has that experience been like for you?
2: Well, God, God Mel Allen was easy because no really knew what he looked like, but everybody knows Joe Joe D. But they'd spent all the money on on uh, <laughs> John Turturro's, uh ears because he was playing he was playing the coach. And um, I wish I looked more like him. It's an honor to play the man as, as iconic as, you know, Joe D was. He was just, um, you know, Mr. Baseball. And uh, and what was great about it is I kind of like, I was doing a play in New York at the same time, and I came up on my days off to work on that, and I thought, this is such great. And then they said, hey, we really like you. And they wrote another scene for me, which is fantastic. It's a great honor. People, uh, all sports fans love those kind of movies. 61 was, was a huge hit, and the Bronx was burning. It was a great miniseries on HBO. Series. and and you work with all these great character writers that you know and love and become friends with after it. It's just a
0: just a win-win for everybody. Just I, I wanted to get back a little bit more with uh, Happy Gilmore. Um, can you give us like a crazy story that might have happened while you guys were filming that movie? Anything that fans of the movie who maybe have seen it a hundred times and think they know everything about it would uh, be surprised to learn about now, 20 years later?
2: Well, here's an
0: interesting story. You
2: know how great Bob Barker was in that movie.
0: I you are talking with the world's biggest Prices Right fan, okay. so I am a huge uh, Bob Barker fan as well. So,
2: <laughs> well, an interesting story that many people don't know is that Bob Barker wasn't the first choice. Bob Barker was called on the eleventh hour when somebody else backed out. And, really? Yeah, they backed out. They had some other thing they had to do, and they got Bob, and he said, "I'll do it." But if you let me do my own boxing, I'm kind of a pugilist. i kind of a. So he said, "Sure, Bob, whatever." That is one of the funniest scenes in the whole movie, and it would never have happened had not had not been Bob Barter, I think. I think he was hysterical
0: at it. All right, now we heard a rumor um, walking in that you had initially were gonna pass on the shooter roles Is this true? Uh whew,
2: glad I didn't. But yes, that is true. I was just I just finished a film in Vancouver, and that's where they're shooting this, and I ran into the director and he said, Dennis Dugan, he said, Chris, oh my god, this is perfect for you. Take this, read it. We're looking for this guy, we're having a hard time finding him. Take a look at it. I read it and I thought, "That's a funny, funny movie." But I was exhausted. I hadn't seen my family in you know, ten weeks. Mm-hmm. I'm a father, and my kids are tiny, and I don't want to miss all that kind of stuff. So I said, "You know, maybe this is not the one," but I love this idea. You know, then, then right after that, I was already scheduled to go and do a golf tournament with my friend Detlef Shrimp, who you know, basketball player, and he had to big, this wonderful thing, in right down in Washington State. So I went down, and I won. And I was playing great, and we laughed and had a great time. I so said, I wonder if that golf was still around. This is like three days later. Yeah. Great. Can I meet Adam? Flew back to Vancouver, met Adam, laughed for 25 minutes straight, and I said, if I don't do this, I'm, I'm going to miss out on one of the great experiences of life. So I'm glad it all worked out.
0: You just randomly, uh, that, that is a Hall of Fame caliber name drop with Detlef Schrempel. Like yeah, How do you guys exactly.
2: know each other? I met Detlef because uh, I just thought he was the best freaking player he was the Great White Hope. He, just single-handedly one time, just took, took the, uh, this this the, the Supersonics, right to the Lakers. Like, and he was everything they touch it was like Kobe's last game. They fed him the ball, bang! It was unbelievably good. And I just had to wait and I met him there, and then we met at a charity event. And then he said, "Would you play my tournament?" And I said, "Sure, I'll play tournaments. tournament." I played a tournament for like seven or eight years, and uh, it's a blast too. You go up the Puget Sound, and you drive over, and you you know you. Can you wait for the deer to get out of the way? I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. We're driving here, you know. It's kind of like that. It's just so beautiful. It's right in the middle of McCormick Woods. It's called. It's gorgeous, and um, I just love his charitable uh, take on life. And he's, you know, he said he gives back, and then, and I just love that about him. And he's uh, been a dear friend for years. The
3: way you and Sandler played off each other in, in, in the film was that natural? Was that something you guys had to work on?
2: No, I think it basically. Um, <laughs> he 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 raised the ire in me as a person and as an actor at the time. I thought it was really effective. So we didn't you know, we didn't really hang out so much when we were doing the movie, but we spent eight, nine, ten hours a day outside playing together and we just kinda got inside to each other's heads. But uh yeah, he did it with such a way that just made me kinda crumble as the character, so I thought it was really, really effective.
0: All right. So I, I gotta know, in, in your mind, um, did, uh, did Shooter McGavin? Did he ever get redemption after his meltdown at the '96 Tour Championship? Did he ever re- uh, bounce back in his career and, and win the gold jacket?
2: Uh, after he got out of the hospital, <laughs> he uh, sadly opened up a pitch and putt thing in Ohio, and uh, he's still there. God love him. know, I, I think I think what happened. I always thought there'd be uh, another. Uh, there'd be a sequel, but Adam doesn't do, like to do sequels, so. Um uh, and I thought that you know, if I could just get the rights, I would be like this is shooter's door. And just do a whole thing where he's just, you know, a goofball. I still might if I can get the rights to it, because it's just too funny. Whatever happened, you know, that's a very good question. So of course in my in my you know, dream I I, I have another shot at it and I, you know, beat him badly. Of course, that's you know, then I can put my I can rest like a victorious. But um but it was just a just a funny way it turned out. I mean coming so ridiculous with the with the DW Beetle and the guy I hired, the thing falls over the ball, and goes ding, ding, ding. Like a pinball game. And come come on. It was so funny. But I'll tell you what, what was really the, you asked the question earlier. I was doing the putt in the end, and I hate in a golf movie where there's a hole and the guy putts, and then they cut to the ball going into the hole. Did he put it in or can I said, I said <laughs> to the director, can I please do it so you'd leave the whole shot open? And let me put it. In. He goes, Well, Chris, we're pressed for time, we're losing light. I said, I don't know, give me seven, eight shots at it. He goes, I'll give you seven shots at it. I went, okay. And then the money started going around. I'll never make it. But we weren't even on a golf course. We were on a, um, it's called a botanical garden. So it was bumping and all that. But if you watch it this day, it was that was take five. I rimmed it a couple of times and that's when I put it in. That reaction was totally ad-libbed. It was like, come on, baby! <laughs> Choke on that, sucker! <laughs> so it was so, so real and so like, I could see who my friends were and who were betting against me. So it was pretty funny. So
3: I got to ask you, yeah. the double pistol, the pop collar popping is yeah. that something that you came up with or they were telling you because that th- that to me is the flavor of that character that just takes it over the edge well that's a good
2: question also and that, no, and they didn't I just said now, why do they call him Shooter <laughs> why would they call him that? What, what would be a funny choice every time I make a putt, I pull the guns out baboo right. or anything anything I do to this day I play golf and I put in a putt, I'll pull the guns out it's just perfect And then all that kind of stuff was just me dancing and goofing around with grandma and, you know, going to a happy place. So (laughs)
3: that that was just
2: you being yourself, right? Yeah, just, Just, you know, just adding whatever it was to it. But it worked out well. I thought it was pretty funny.
3: You know, why do you think, you probably get asked this a million times, but 20 years later, that film is just, like you said, when it's on, you just got to watch it because it's just so many chuckles, so many hilarious moments. But you know, is there something else that you think maybe that really bring you know, pulls people into this film? Yeah, I wish
2: I knew that answer because I've thought of it all the time. Because I, sometimes I think it's kind of stupid and sophomoric. At the same time, I think there's some of the stuff that's really quite funny. And it's kind of a sports thing. The sports thing, I think, is I sort of I kind of nailed it down to that. It's really it really comes down to mano a mano. and with everybody, it's inbred in us to to want to. Look, to Respond to that thing. We've all been in that situation. We all feel like God. I gotta beat this guy. God, I gotta. Beat this. So this is just amped up a little bit higher. That's the only thing I can really ex- explain. And the redemption he has that gets his grandma's house back and that kind of stuff. But that's we've seen that in every movie. But but I think that it's the it's the strong thing. It keeps it really really going um, gangbusters. Is uh, you know, chubs and, and the whole training of the guy to get become oh look what can pot oh you know, that's kinda of stuff. That, it's funny at the same time it's it's what you would do. You'd really kinda of put the time in so you could uh, you could beat the other guy, your nemesis, and that's what it turned out to be.
3: I gotta ask you one question about one of my favorite movies of all time, Quiz Show. What was that experience like just you
2: know, that being, being a part of that film? Well, I wanna tell you, when you walk into a room and it's Bob Redford I call him Bob. We're so i him B. Yo B, what's up? He is one of the uh, you know. You, you grow up. You know, I idolized the guy. He's an iconic, wonderful, gifted, handsome you know a- actor. He's got more charisma than anybody I've ever met in my life. Bill Clinton's really close, but you know, Red Redford. He's unbelievable. Um, that was one of the greatest experiences of my life because I wanted to. I'm from New York. I wanted to work in New York. I was. I did an audition for it out in California. They said, Would you come back and Bob really liked what you did? He wants to see this thing. And I said, I can't, I'm doing this other show. I flew myself to New York, told my agent, get me in there somehow. I gotta get meet Bob. So I went to the office and they said, Yeah, I think that he's gonna see you today at 3 30. Well, he's notoriously late. So I went there and I studied, I went to the uh, to the uh, television archives and, and looked up this 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 Jack Barry. I remembered him from Joker, Joker, Joker. But I never saw him do the show. So I watched him do the show and I kind of took what I could, could without mimicking him, but more of what the period of the style of the show was. And I, I could do it. I knew I could do it. So I walked in. Reverend finally came in late. And he goes, Chris, going step in my office. And he's, I went right by with the place where the audition. I just said, whoa, this is interesting. He says, I don't have a problem. You're going to be our Jack Barry. I looked at the cast member. So is he messing with me? Or he goes, no. You're the guy He saw it in me that I could do it, that I knew what I was doing. I was, I was the guy to bring this to it. Like, I'll love him forever for it. It's been a great experience. The movie still holds up.
3: Absolutely.
2: It's true to life. I mean, I, I go back to my college, at Hobart Woodsmith College, upstate New York, and the um, the film um, yeah, it's professor has me coming to speak about it because they show it every year and how that, that was the end of innocence in America. And was it was really about something. It had wonderful actors. I remember hanging out with Ray Fines in the beginning. Nobody knew where he was. Everybody wanted this part, Charles Van Doren. But they got this English guy. who well, I don't know. He must yeah. have something. I don't know. But, you know. So we hung out because the first three weeks of the movie was just us playing the game, 21. And we would go out and he was like, here's a guy like liked the party. So I'd go out with him we'd, and no one knew who he was. And then a little thing called Schindler's List opened a week later. Oh, yeah. And the world changed. And I saw it happen. He was, a, he was a magnet for not only like, you know, hot chicks and everything, but just for, for everybody on. who had seen the movie would turn and go, oh, that guy. I just saw that Wow, right
0: in front of my eyes. It was amazing. So, that was a great experience, great movie. All right, so I told my wife that uh, I was going to be getting the chance to talk with you today. She's a huge fan of The Good Wife. Um, can you tell us anything, um, stories from uh, working on that show? And uh, I think that just wrapped up, right?
2: They did. Seven years, it just wrapped up. Um, I, was, I was offered the part. I came in, and I was um, having done a couple of good law shows. Playing a judge is one of the hardest things in the world to do because. It's called block shooting. You have to shoot it where your light is. Everybody shoots. They shoot the whole thing. And it's lunchtime. And then you come back and you do a couple more things. And then we're going to turn it around, which takes an hour. Turn the lights around go on this. And now we're shooting the judge. I've been doing it already now for seven hours. And now I've got to do it again with all the lights on me and everything like that. And everybody's dressing their street clothes ready to get the hell out of there because they have to do the same thing tomorrow. And I have reams of dialogue. And I thought I don't know if I can get through this. It's just got kind of a bum 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 bum. So I prayed to the thespian gods above, and
1: uh,
2: we got through it. And they just went. They cut it beautifully, and it turned out really really well. And then I got that that muscle going, and, and never it's never easy because it's legalese what you're doing. It's another language like speaking Greek. Um, it's like medical jargon. It's really hard to say. But um, the guy was such a delicious character. He just wouldn't take any any gruff and you're not cutting her any quarter at all you know the Alicia Floric part played by Juliana Margulies was brilliant and it was really a fun and fun experience so they kept on writing more and more for me and I did like I'm supposed to do I think two or three and I ended up doing seven or eight
0: we were talking about this a little bit before uh the tape started rolling but uh you want to tell everybody uh anything that uh, you're working on now anything we should be looking for here uh rest of 2016 and beyond
2: Matter of fact, I just got hired on a great movie. Uh, I mean, a great, uh, Broadway show. I'm going to go back to Broadway with Nathan Lane and, and John Goodman, who I love and, and, um, John Slattery, who I love and know from way back. I worked with Nathan a long time ago. We're going to do the front page, which is a classic 1920s newspaper, newspaper story. And I play, uh, Jimmy Murphy, one of the, the head writer for the, uh, for the journal. It's going to be a blast. going to be an event. It's going to be huge. It starts in September, opens October, goes to February in New York City on Broadway. And uh, just before that, I uh, just finished a movie called Wetlands, which is um, fantastic. It's a cop story by an Irish cop, go figure. And and we shot it down in Cape May, New Jersey, which was absolutely beautiful in the off season. It was spectacular. And then right now, I'm just doing a lot of family stuff and I'm here at the beautiful stadium watching the rubber ducks play and... uh, and I'll just kind of do all the things that you can't do when you're working on a play, like have a life. So I'm, I'm doing all that fun stuff now and get it into my, out of my system before I can go back and like, you check in, you're, you're like a monk. You go to work, the event of your day is the, is the show. Wednesdays and Saturdays where you do two shows, that's the whole day, that's it. You just stay at the theater. But it's such a joy. that that It's the best time for an actor because it's curtain up. There's no take two. There's no redos. There's nothing. It's basically do it. And it's uh, when you can hear the a pin drop in the theater, and you have the next line. It's wonderful, Where you make people laugh, gut laugh. It's just, it's rare. You have a new, you have a new uh, um, cast member every night because the audience is always different. A Aud- new audience comes in. Some really, really get it, and some just sit really quietly on their hands, and then they go crazy at the end. So
0: you never know. That sounds awesome.
2: Uh, good luck with everything thank there. Thank
0: Appreciate it. I think uh, Shooter's Public is uh, waiting, so we're ah. going to wrap up here. But uh, Christopher McDonald, thank you so much. This has been awesome.
2: My pleasure. Thank you. A lot of fun talking to you.
1: Okay, there you go. Christopher McDonald, the one and only Shooter McGavin. Uh, Big thanks to Adam Lieberman, uh, Director of PR and Media Relations for the Rubber Ducks, uh, for helping to make that interview happen. Um, Good people all around in that organization, and uh, they have a big summer ahead going to be hosting the Eastern League All-Star Game for the first time ever in July. And uh, it was also good to see uh, Mark Podolsky again. You could check out his column um, from our chat with uh, Christopher McDonald. Um, it's going to appear in the News Herald. I believe it's going to be online at uh, news-herald.com on uh, Sunday and then in print on Monday. Uh, so uh, be sure to uh, check that out as well. As for us, you can uh, catch up on all of our episodes on our website, thenailpodcast.com, and of course, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. As I mentioned earlier, we will be back this week with a Mega Cavs NBA Finals preview podcast. My illustrious co-host, Travis Yule will be back in the saddle, and we've got a couple of guests. We hope you check that out. Until then, this has been The Nail in the Coffin. I am Tom Valentino, and we will talk to you again soon. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis.